Luke 2.22. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him as Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, which is, pause for a second, that's not a bad gig. God says you're not going to die, which is pretty amazing. Well, 27, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom the Lord required, Simeon took him into his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, a.k.a. I can die now. Uh, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. We are in a series called The Promise uh, because we want to be this year, I don't know about you. I, I want to be more like Simeon in his approach to what happened. Christmas is so routine. Uh, if you're a kid, it's about what you're going to get. If you're a parent, it's about how little can I spend while making my kids feel good about what they get. Let's be honest. Like, like we're, we're, it's a balancing act of event, meals, decorations, music, all the stuff. And then we move on to the next holiday. But Simeon, we get from Luke. He sees the events in a whole different light. And so what you and I want to do in this series called The Promise is to see what God has been doing from the beginning. So with that in mind, if you were here last week, Matt did a stellar job of bringing in where we see God at work in the beginning of God's story. The Bible is one large book. It's set in two parts. There's one that's called Old. It's not Old, it's First. And then there's the New Testament. It's not really new, it's second. So the first and second part of God's story. And we saw from last week that the first five books of the first half, called the Torah, that God from the beginning created us to have a relationship with him. So Christmas, the setting of Christmas, is not tinsel, and it's not trees, and it's not eggnog. Dairy, come on. Like, you know, it's not all that stuff. No, it is about God from the beginning wanting to connect with you and me in real tangible ways. Genesis 1-2, God creates us to be with him. Genesis 3, you and I choose a lie. We believe a lie. The serpent comes, the enemy comes and tells us God is wrong and God's not out for your good. Do what you want. And that's what Adam and Eve do. That's what we do. And because of that, our relationship with God is not all that it can be. But we know that from the beginning, Matt told us last week, Genesis 3, a seed is coming. God promises out of the woman will come a seed. And if you were here last week, if not, listen to the podcast. That seed, which is like totally vague and generic, comes into view. Oh, it's going to be the seed of a man named Abram who believed God. Adam 
disobeyed, did not believe God, but Abram does. And God says, out of your seed from your family line is gonna be blessing my relationship with you is gonna thrive. And out of your offspring, the whole world's gonna be blessed. And if you keep reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see that God uses a man named Moses. And Moses is a man after God and hears from God. And we get from Moses a few things. Uh, but before we do that, I want us to clue in. Before we look at what Moses has to say and where it's going to tie in what Simeon experiences, I want you to read just with me Luke 2, uh, Luke 2 verse 30, because this is what we're going to highlight for this morning. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. All I want us to do is, in, in what Simeon says, I'm going to focus on this one phrase, and actually we're going to look down to one word of this one phrase, which unlocks what Simeon got that some of us miss every Christmas. God has something for you to see this Christmas that maybe was not there or wasn't as bright as it could be. What is it? Simeon gets it. My eyes have seen God's salvation. So somehow when Simeon holds the child, like, oh, look, looks just like mother, you know, virgin born, again, no dad involved. Um, look, 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 and, and, and holds him, and in a good Jewish voice, my boy, Jesus, you know, Yeshua, obviously you're not from New York, you don't get it. Um, little Jesus, right? But, but he sees a boy and says, I see God's salvation. Now, where in the world can Simeon make that connection? How in the world is Simeon getting baby Jesus, days born, and no, God's going to save the world now? It's because Simeon is immersed in the story. He knows that Jesus, although he's born in Bethlehem, Jesus can be seen in the first part of the story. And we saw that in the Torah through the concept of a seed from the line of Abram. But remember at the end of what Moses had to say, again, Matt shared it last week, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. I'll throw it up on the screen just to remind you, or if you missed it, Moses said, Moses, who's, who's the great prophet, speaks for God. God's revealing himself through Moses. And Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So even Moses points ahead. Hey, I'm used by God, but someone's coming from among the people. He's going to be of the nation of Israel. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham, and you must listen to him. So people are waiting after Moses. Is Joshua the guy? Are the judges the guy? Are the kings the guy? Who is the one that's going to be like Moses? Again, Jesus fulfills the story that God's been sharing from the beginning. Now, at the end of Moses' life, this is what we get. Uh, Deuteronomy 34, we learn that no uh, prophet, since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So the end of the first part of God's story, the Torah, is this little indicator. Oh, by the way, if you're looking for the guy that's going to be from the people, it's going to bring salvation, he hasn't come yet. And it's the invitation to turn the page and keep reading. Now, we're going to go rabbit trail. We're going to get back to Simeon and the one word, I've seen it. We're going to get back to that in a minute. But in order to understand what Simeon knew, we need to look at the second 
part of the story. The Hebrew Bible is in three parts. Our Old Testament just puts all these books in a row. But when the Hebrews, when they read the scriptures, they had the Torah, but they called their Bible the Tanakh. The Torah was the first five books. Then there was the Nevi'im, which were the prophetic writings. And there was, then there was the Ketuvim, which is the poetry, the wisdom literature. So the beginning of the story, you get the teaching of God. God speaks his truth to his people. But then you have this section that's filled with historical books. I'll, I'll throw up, if it's, if it's new to you, why don't we throw up the next, the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures are Joshua, which gives the story of God moving the people into the land. Judges, what happens when Joshua dies? Who's in charge? First and Kings, uh, although first and Samuel, although they just write it as Samuel. They don't have first and second. It's just Samuel and Kings. And then you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12. Those are those small books that nobody reads. Like just those small few pages. And like, I know it's inspired by God, but I don't get it. And now this, is, this makes up a lot of history. Now, why in the world, we're going to get to Simeon and salvation and seeing it, but why in the world does God give us so much history? And why do we get frustrated when we read the Bible? We ever tried doing Bible through the year and we hit these books and it's like off, CNN, Fox, whatever you watch, BBC. It's hard to make it through these, but I want to I remind you the reason God gives us this history is not to waste our time. Jesus does not make sense without the story. We don't know what Jesus is going to do until you see it. So when we think in America about free speech and everyone rises up, we have the right to free speech. We have the right to assembly. Why do we have, why is it such like an American value for us to have the right to say, we have the right of freedom of the press. The press can say anything about the president and not get shot in the back of the head. Now, we take that for granted here, but why? If you don't know American history, if you don't know that we came from a little island called England that had a big king, and if you went against the king, your neck was killed. You were hung. And if you don't realize that our idea of freedom, right, and freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly comes out of our story, it comes out of our story of people saying, we don't want one person telling us what to think, believe, and do. So freedom for us makes sense because of our background. And it's the same way with the scriptures. Although it may be hard to navigate, and yeah, it takes a little bit of plotting. Reading these books, the prophets, the Nevi'im, is so important because in it, we're going to see the framework which makes Jesus and his work make sense. Sense. So what I want to do today is get to Simeon's, I have seen the salvation of God. And the way we're going to do that is to navigate the end of the Torah and then make our way through some of the prophetic writings. And then we'll jump back to Simeon. Does that make sense? Okay, now this is a disclaimer. Some of it, if you're new to the Bible, some of this may seem foreign. Names like Isaiah and Malachi, Malachi otherwise, like you read it, it's like, oh, Malachi, Italian. No, it's Malachi. Anyway. But we're going to go through it because I want us to see that Jesus is not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is in Genesis. Jesus is in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Jesus is in Isaiah, 1st, 2nd Kings. Not the person. Jesus is born, yes. But a hint of who he is and what he's going to do is all over the book. All right, now Simeon, let's just look. You got Luke in front of you, Luke 2. Let's read back at what he's hinting at, and then um, we'll, we'll make the, the point. Verse 25, there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, 
He's righteous and devout. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what in the world is this? Simeon is waiting for everything that God said about Israel to come to pass. So Simeon has in his mind these books of the Bible where God gives a promise. God gives a promise that he's going to provide a seed. God gives promises. He speaks to his people. He's actively involved with us. And the reason we have these books is because if you ever wonder in your life, is God really there and interested in what I am going through? Does he care about my family? Does he care about what I do with my life? Does he care about my struggles? Absolutely yes. The story of Israel is not just a history lesson. When you are wondering, where is God when? You can go to the page, you can go to the book and find your life in Israel. Not the exact like, you know, weaponry and clothing and food, but you can see when Israel responds some way, how does God respond? When Israel does this, what happens next? You can see your life in the story of Israel. That's why God gives us, because if you want to know God's attitude towards you, just look at God's attitude towards his people. Because just like he loved them, he loves you. And just like he calls them to relationship, he calls you to relationship. But what happens when we buck him? What happens when we push him away? What happens when we go against his Torah? When we go against his teaching? When we go against his way of life? What happens when we ignore God? Just look at Israel. Now, Simeon is waiting for the consolation. There is something that's supposed to happen. And, and it's going to change the dynamic of the people of God. And Simeon gets it. And what happens? Let's just, again, look at Luke 2. He's waiting for the consolation uh, of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Key, verse 25. It had been revealed to him by who? The Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he seen the Lord's Messiah. So God is speaking to Simeon. God speaks. It's worth stopping and thinking about it. God is speaking by his own spirit. God communicates with Simeon like, like he can communicate with you. And he clues Simeon in. This is what I have written, and here's what's about to happen. There is going to be a Messiah, that seed in Genesis, somehow in the early part of the story, gets put on one person that's called the Messiah. And he's going to come. And Simeon, you're going to see him. So verse 27, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So Simeon recognizes God has spoken. Simeon hears by the Spirit of God. It's going to lead to this one seed, this Messiah. And where does he go to look for the Messiah? This may seem small, but it's colossal. He goes to the temple. He hears the word of God, and he goes to the place where God's going to meet with his people. Now, why is this so important? Because Deuteronomy 34 had pointed us. We read it earlier, Deuteronomy 18. There's going to be a prophet to come. This prophet's going to be that Messiah. Deuteronomy 34, no other prophet has been raised up since the time of Moses who speaks like God spoke to him face to face. That gets thrown on this one person. This person to come, who we know as Jesus, is going to be the one who speaks greater than Moses. So where does Simeon go? He goes to the temple. Why does Simeon, when he holds Jesus in his arms, say these words? Verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have 
seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the Gentiles. Okay, I've been going all over the place. Where is Simeon getting this quote? If you look at the side of your Bible, it probably says it, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. Okay, here's where we need to, we need to take one flip of the page, keep a finger or a bookmark here. I want you to go to the left to Isaiah, which sits right in the middle of these prophets. And I want us to see, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in the prophets? Where is Jesus in the early part of the story? Isaiah 40 is, I'm just going to give us one. We could go to many. I'm just for time going to give us one. Because Simeon, when he sees baby Jesus, he quotes Isaiah 40, specifically thinking, aha, God's promise is now being fulfilled. That seed in Genesis 3, that Messiah to come, is prophesied in Isaiah 40. And we'll read verses 1, and, and verse 5 has like the, the nugget, but we'll read from verse 1. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord uh, your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What's going on? Pause for a second. Isaiah may be new to you. Isaiah is 700 years before the time of Jesus. Israel is living in the land of promise. Joshua got him in the land. There were judges, there were kings, but the judges were corrupt. The kings were corrupt. The people were corrupt. And God had been warning his people through prophets saying, come back, return to me. Come back, listen to me. And I will restore the relationship, but the people wouldn't listen. So he raised up Isaiah and, and he, God tells Isaiah, tell the people I'm gonna send them away. They, they don't love me. They've cheated on me. They've, they've gone to a prostitute, so to speak. They're, they're worshiping other gods. They, they don't know me. And I'm going to send them away because they have to learn that apart from me, nothing good happens. Uh, pause. That may be your life right now. Right now, you may feel like, why is my life such a mess? Why is my life such a wreck? Why, why is there no peace? Why is there struggle? It could be, hear me clearly, not that God is against you, but that God is for you. And because God is for you, he says when you ignore him, there's got to be a time in your life where my presence is gone. So literally for Israel, figuratively for us, literally he moves them out of Jerusalem and another foreign land takes over and they have no kingdom, no king, nothing. They're slaves. And life without God can lead to bondage. Now, it doesn't look like Babylonians, Assyrians, armies, but it could like, look like addiction. It could look like all sorts of habits that are self-destructive. It could look like a relationship that fell apart because you never invited God to lead it. You never invited God's guidance. You never asked for wisdom. And now you find yourself like Israel is about to find themselves. God tells Isaiah, very soon, these people are going to go away. And I want you to warn them it's going to happen. But then in Isaiah 40, it's like turns the page. In 1 through 39, it's pretty depressing. Verse 40, he says to Isaiah, tell the people, comfort them. Good news. Their sin is going to be covered, a.k.a. I love them so much. After a period of them going away, I'm going to bring them back. Verse 3, when are they going to be brought back? And this is going to sound familiar if you've read the Gospels. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Who does that sound like? Anyone? John the Baptist. Thank you very much. It's John the Baptist. So Isaiah, you think, where did John the Baptist get this line, 
prepare the way for the Lord. It's because God spoke to Isaiah 700 years before Jesus comes and says, you want to know when these people are going to be brought back? A voice of one calling in the, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain made low, rough ground should be made level, the rugged place is plain. And then this, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the Lord, the mouth of the Lord has spoken and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and the glory of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. Now, it, it's not an exact parallel because the New Testament is written in Greek and this is written in Hebrew, but in Simeon's case, Simeon's in the temple, he sees baby Jesus, he holds Jesus in his hands and he quotes this verse, Isaiah 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now glory, it's, it's no big word for us, but this is where we have to pause. I have seen, Simeon says, the salvation of the Lord. I have seen it. And in Isaiah 45, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. What does it mean for God's glory to be seen. Now, again, this may seem obscure. We'll wrap it up at the end because, and I'll give you the point now and then we'll make our way there. God wants you to see him for who he is and follow him. He wants you to encounter him in ways that are beyond like nativity scenes and Christmas cards and parties. He wants to be this close in your face that you will know who he is. That is God's plan for you now, the Hebrew word that gives us that concept is the word glory. The word glory in Hebrew is kabod. Can you say kabod? You're like, kaboom? No, kabod. Kabod. It is a word that is used every time in the Old Testament when, when, when God showed himself up in a physical form, it was his glory. It was his kabod. So a fancy word is epiphanies. God, throughout the first part of the story, he shows up and people see him. It freaks them out. They fall to the ground. They think they're about to die. So if you see God, you're not going to go, hey, killer, let's go to Starbucks. No, you'll probably collapse at the greatness of God. It's his kabod. And what Simeon sees, I want you to get this. When he holds Jesus, he sees God. Not like he doesn't see like someone who's kind of nice or has hung out with God. He quotes Isaiah 45, the glory of Yahweh, the, the presence that is seen of God will come. And somehow by the spirit, when Simeon holds Jesus, he says, God has come. Now this may not be a big deal for you, but I want us to think for a couple of minutes about glory and what uh, glory is all about. Exodus 24, we'll throw it on the screen for time. Exodus 24, this word kabod, this word glory comes up again and again. Moses goes up to the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. When God brings his people out and del delivers them, he says, I'm going to give you the teaching. I'm going to show you the way of life. You're going to follow me. Life's going to be great. I'm going to be your leader. And Moses, come up the mountain. I want to give you everything my people need to know to live in right relationship with me. And what do we see? He goes up the mountain, a cloud, a physical thing comes down, and the glory of the Lord settled on it. 
Six days and six nights, he's up there. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. So in one angle, vantage point, it's kind of like a cloud coming down. But as the Israelites look up, they see something burning. The presence of God is seen by Moses. God shows his glory. Well, when do we see this again? Up on the mountain, God says, I want you to build a tabernacle, a place where my people can meet with me because I want to be with them every single day, just like God's design for you is that he would be with you every day. God is longing for you to wake up on Monday and hang out with him. On Wednesday, middle of the week, he wants to push you through. On Friday, he wants to keep you from doing stupid stuff. On Saturday, he wants to remind you, come to church on Sunday. He he wants to be with you every day. And so God says to Moses on the mountain, hey, build a place. It's going to be a tent, and here's how I want it. But I'm going to come and be with my people. Exodus 40. Let's flip to it. Exodus 40. When, when Moses obeys and does the tent thing, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory, the kabod of the Lord filled the temple. Moses couldn't, <laughs> couldn't enter the tent because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So on the mountain, God shows himself in a, in a physical fire cloud. In, in the tabernacle, he shows himself as a cloud. But it doesn't end there. The people of God make it to the land and Moses dies and Joshua dies and the judges die and they want a king. And King David, a man after God's own heart, says, God, I want to build you a place. You're in a tent. I'm in a palace. You're in a tent. I want to build a permanent structure. God says, oh, it's a great thing, but no, 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 no. I'm, don't worry. I'm going to build a house for myself. And oh, by the way, David, out of your line, it's in 1 Kings, out of your line is going to come the savior of the world. You have a heart for me? Hint. It's from Abram, but now it's from David. Out of your family line, I'm going to send the Savior. And then, he, and, then, and then he says, your son Solomon's going to build a temple. So, so Solomon builds a temple. What happens when Solomon builds a temple? 1 Kings 8, verse 11. Throw it on the screen. When the priests withdrew the, from the holy place, the temple, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests couldn't perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Again, it seems like, why are you dragging us through all this? I want you to see that in the Torah, you see the signs of God sending a Savior in Jesus. And now through the prophets, we see that this cloud that started in Exodus, this presence of God, this glory theme is coming and coming and coming. And now Isaiah 40, 700 years before Jesus, he says, I'm going to send my people away, but I love my people and I'm going to send my glory. The nations are going to see it, and I'm going to bring you back. So Israel had hope when God sent them away that God hadn't forgotten them, that God's going to bring them back, just like you. Just like you. All of us have, have strings and paths of rebellion, don't we? We, we? we follow Jesus for a few months, good months, and then something happens. It's kind of like an exercise program. January, great, you know, fit. February, well, chocolate, you got to do it, you know. And then March, it's so rainy, I can't get out of bed, you know? And then we, we go to Easter and we realize last year's clothes don't fit. And then, you know, summer's coming, the sun's gonna come out, I need to get. So we go through waves of ups and downs. And in walking with God, isn't that what life is like? We have these waves of his cloud, his presence, his glory seems there, and waves where he seems so far away. So Isaiah 40 says, okay, you wanna know the sign? 
my glory is going to be seen again. So in 586, Israel is destroyed because they disobeyed, just like Isaiah prophesied. But then 70 years later, God brings them back. They build another temple uh, uh, under Nehemiah, under Ezra. The temple's rebuilt and they feel like God's presence, because God came in the cloud on the mountain, God came in the tabernacle, God came in the temple, and now they had 70 years of no God's presence. And guess what? Because God had chosen his place to meet with his people, which was what? The temple. Let me go back. Simeon. Where does Simeon go to see the fulfillment of Israel? Where does he go? He goes to the temple. Because Isaiah 40, when God returns, he's going to come to his temple temple. The temple is a place we meet with God. Some of us, we just don't get that because we're meeting in an event center. We don't see holy places. But before the time of Jesus, you need to know this. If you want to meet with God, God does not come to your little tent. You come to meet with God. And you bring a sacrifice because you're full of sin and evil and wickedness and God is perfect. But God is loving and he receives us. And when we come his way, he, he forgives us our sin and he invites us close, but you come to the temple. So Israel had no presence, had no glory. They rebuild the temple about 512, 515. So, so they're expecting God's glory to be there. Guess what? The glory isn't there. And the reason we have the smaller prophets, they're called the minor prophets, those last 12, is because it reminds us, they had the temple, they had the building, the structure, but God's presence was not fully with them yet. Now you say, Jose, how, how do you know that? One last place. You can go back to Luke uh, uh, 2. I'm going to throw it up on the screen for you. I want you to see this in, in Malachi 3. Malachi is the last of the prophets, and when we go back to Luke 2, we're about to wrap this up, I promise. Malachi 3 is the last of the prophets. He's 400 years before Jesus. Remember, 700 years before, I'm going to send you away. 586, it happens. God returns them to the land, 515, call it. But now they rebuild a temple, and there's a prophet called Malachi, 400. So over 100 years after they return, they have the temple, what does Malachi say in Malachi 3, verse 1? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Does that sound familiar at all? Malachi quotes Isaiah 40. Malachi reminds the people, God's glory, God's presence is not fully here. But I will send a messenger ahead and then suddenly the Lord who you are seeking. So when the messenger comes... After the messenger comes, saying, made straight the way for the Lord, then the Lord you are seeking will come where? To his temple. So Simeon, mind you, Simeon reads a 400-year-old prophecy and says, Isaiah, 700 years ago, God told him, I'm going to send my messenger ahead and then my glory, my a kabod, my presence is going to be restored. The Savior is going to come. Malachi reminds us 400 years before the time of Jesus. And then Simeon gets this revelation from God. Here he is. Jesus has come. So Malachi is pointing ahead that in the temple, God is going to make things right again. That's why when we read the gospel story, there's always something fresh. Now, this has nothing to do with reindeer or Santa. 
But Christmas is the story about the seed of the woman that's gonna save the world that's told to Adam and Eve is now the seed of the woman is the seed of Mary. And Luke and Matthew and Mark and even in John, they remind us that in time and in space, God has come and he kept his promise. What you need to know about God is that even when you are faithless, God will remain faithful. And the reason we read the gospels is because the gospels remind us that God comes to a faithless people. So it's not like I get my act together and then God gives me like the stamp of approval, like you're in, you're okay, you're not perfect, you're kind of a schlep, but, but I, you know, you're good enough and, and so you're in. No. God's word to us is that even though we're rebellious and wicked and faithless, God will remain faithful to his promise. And if God so loved the world, then he will send his one and only son. And so the story of Jesus for us who follow him is not just a brief encounter in Jesus and the temple and Simeon, but it's the reminder that centuries of promise was leading to the time of Jesus. Now, what does glory and glory on Mount Sinai, glory in the tabernacle, glory in the temple, and now glory in Jesus, what does that have anything to do with you and me? two thoughts out of this, and then we want to respond like Simeon. We don't want to be the people who hear the Christmas thing and then brush it off as just a nice religious bow on an American holiday. We want to hear from Jesus, and like Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, get what God is all about. Two thoughts, and we're done. Thought number one, Jesus is the place to meet with God. The glory was where you met with God. On the mountain, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and then it was gone. But Jesus comes to the temple. Simeon meets with God by holding Jesus. No longer is God seen as far. God, for every bit of time before the time of Jesus, was known as out and above and he comes down, and when he comes down, it's like thunder and lightning and cloud and scary because God is holy. But in the incarnation, in the movement of Jesus, in the coming of God made flesh, in the Christmas story, God is now seen by us in a whole new way. God, yes, is above, and he is big, and he is holy, but God is here, and God is now, and God is relatable. And yes, he was relatable before, but it was much more foggy and much more complex. But for you and I, because of Jesus, brass tacks, I now know the way to God. And if I want to meet with God, all I need to do is invite Jesus to come and make himself known to me. My friends, this Christmas, the greatest gift for you is to encounter the living God. And the living God is not one of many names out there, and you just choose something that's right for you. No, no. My friends, because of Christmas, God has come in the person of Jesus. So Emmanuel, Jesus is God with us. Your life may not be what you'd hope and dream. Your life right now, frankly, may be full of sorrow and pain and loneliness, but you, like Simeon, are just one step away from encountering the living God. Because if God can speak by his spirit to a man 2,000 years ago who's in the temple and he's expecting 
God to come. So you say, Jose, how do I really get the most out of Christmas? Christmas is a season of expectation. It's a time where you and I, especially if we know Jesus already, is that we remember that God has come and he is here and he hasn't left us and he is now and he is inviting me back to Genesis 1 and 2 to right relationship with him. Christmas is the reminder that, yeah, I'm full of junk, but God can look past that by sending his son to forgive me of my mess and set me right so that I can know the living God. Friends, this Christmas, why not invite Jesus to be the center of not just the holiday or the celebration, but the center of your story? Invite him in your marriage. Invite him into your future. Invite him into your schooling. Invite him into your workplace. Invite him into your neighborhood life. Invite him in your hobbies. Invite him in your times of rest and your times of play and your Times of life. Invite Jesus, not just to the spiritual dimension of Sunday. Invite Jesus to lead every bit of it. And I don't know about you, but I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I find there are parts of me that are still devoid of Jesus. I still need, I, I, I've not gotten past Jesus. Like some people think, well, you, know, you go to church for a while and then you kind of get past this whole gospel thing. Like God loves the world so much. He sit, sends his son. Whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. I move past that. My friend, if you've moved past that, then you don't get it. Amen. We never move past the Christmas story. We never move past the gospel because it's the reminder that God invites us to life. Second thought. And then we want to respond. We want to see where we're at and where God is at. Second thought is now mysterious and it's mind-blowing. We are now temples of God. Now, I'm not new age. I'm not a freak. Because this sounds weird. The temple was where God came. He didn't come to your tent. He didn't come to your house. He came to the temple. And now we know because of Jesus, the temple is not one place. We don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. You don't have to come to this gathering space to worship. You don't need high lofty steeples to worship. You can encounter God everywhere. You can be driving to work and encounter God. You can be on the school bus. It'd be weird. I admit it. But you can be on the school bus and encounter God. You can open up the scriptures Monday morning, brew strong coffee, sit there and say, God, I want to meet with you. And you can meet with God because now those who follow Jesus are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You and I, because of Christmas, now are the place where God dwells, which is crazy for one. It's beautiful for another, and it also speaks to what our life is about. If anyone is going to know about Jesus this Christmas, here's a thought. You don't need to take them to a building. If you want to bring them on Christmas Eve, that would be glorious. It'll, I'll be sharing the, a basic gospel uh, explanation. But you can meet with God and them right where you're at. You can bring Christmas to people because you are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you and God has come and he's brought newness and forgiveness. So where do people go to worship God? They go to a temple, right? But now because of Jesus, where can people experience the presence of God? By hanging out with you. Because God lives with you Wherever you are, the presence of God can be so people can know the living God. They can know Jesus. Why? Because of you. Isn't that great? 
that we don't, we're not restricted to a place. We're not restricted to a person. We're not restricted to a building. Now, wherever we go, the gospel goes with us. The good news goes with us. Jesus goes with us. His spirit lives within us, and we can be the people of God, and the world can know. Hillsborough can know. The Sunset Cordo can know that Jesus is alive because of you and because of me. My friends, this is the promise that from the beginning, the world would be blessed. Not through Abraham, but through you. You, right here, are the answer to God's promise. He was thinking about you. Will you receive him? This morning, we're going we're gonna to pray, we're going to worship, we're going to thank God, but we want to be like Simeon. We want we want to be like Simeon. So we don't want to move past this and say that was great. A few songs, carbohydrates, and go. No, we don't want to do that. This morning, where are you with the living God? Where are you? I mean, with the real God, like his son Jesus. Where are you with Jesus? Because if you have met Jesus, then you have met God. But if you've not let Jesus to come and forgive you of your sin and make you right and bring you in, fill you with the Spirit and give you the presence of God, Jesus in you, the hope of glory. This is mysterious. I can't fully explain this, but I'm living it. And let me tell you, I can't imagine any other way to live than following Jesus. What about you? This morning, we want to go into the Christmas season full of Jesus. And that means that we're going to have to come to him on his terms. And this morning, that may mean repentance. Some of you this morning are going to have to own up to what you have been doing and how you have been living and come to a God that's perfect and say, I'm not. But I want you to come and make me right. And when you do that, the Bible calls that repentance. You, you turn your mind, you change direction. Like, I'm going to go God's way. I'm going to, I'm going to accept this Jesus. He will give you life. This morning, Will you receive the gift of life?